part of the anticipation that goes with the season is the waiting, right? We, we wait for Christmas. We have opportunities that we look forward to, and it seems as though they don't come nearly fast enough. I can remember being a child and waiting for Christmas, and after Thanksgiving, just feeling like, is Christmas ever going to get here? And as we got closer and closer to Christmas, counting down the days, probably as a child, just looking forward to some gifts that I would receive, not fully understanding the importance of the season, but I can remember thinking, man, it is so it is taking so long for Christmas to get here. It's kind of like my five-year-old um, who is in this stage now where he's saying, how long until we get there, Dad? And I'll say 20 minutes, and he'll say, is that long? And I'll say, it's not too long, but if I say an hour, he says, is that long? I say, it's long, and he's like, oh, can you make it shorter? And I remember as a kid feeling like, can we make it a shorter amount of time to get to Christmas because it was something that I anticipated? Now that I'm older, I love it just as much because I see the magical side of the season being passed down to my kids and being a part in their journey is such an incredible um, honor for me to play in their life. And so I love Christmas time. I hope you love Christmas time. If you don't love Christmas time and this series is kind of a bummer for you, uh, then hopefully by the end of our time together, at least you'll be encouraged that Christmas plays a significant role in your life and speaks directly to you. Um, but here's, here's kind of where I want to go with this series. Uh, though we wait for Christmas a lot, uh, and though we even declare how slow things are based on a season, you ever heard the, the phrase, you're slower than Christmas? Um, I've always thought that Christmas uh, got some bad publicity there because I never hear people say you're as slow as Easter or you're as slow as a birthday. They all come once a year, but Christmas gets a bad rep. And I think it's because people anticipate it and look forward to it so much that it never seems to come fast enough. And though some of us may be waiting for Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, whenever your family celebrates or whatever your traditions look like, um, this series is less about waiting for Christmas and more about waiting for Christmas. And what I mean by that is, in our lives, we have seasons of waiting. And this just may be a Christmas season where you're in a season of waiting. Maybe you've been waiting for some good news. Maybe you've been waiting for some prayers to be answered. Maybe you've been waiting for opportunities to open up, for you to take some steps that you desire to take. Maybe you've been waiting for relief from some bad situations in your life. You've been waiting for a promotion. You've been waiting for a raise. You've been waiting on a relationship. You have dreams and aspirations that you haven't achieved and you haven't seen fulfilled and you wait for them and you seem as though you'll never receive things that you wait for. And this series is going to speak to us the importance of the event of Christmas in our seasons of waiting. So for Christmas this season, some of us are waiting. We're waiting on different things. And I want to encourage us that as we're waiting, God is still doing some incredible things through us. I can remember seasons in my life where I waited. I remember waiting to get into high school when I was in middle school, and then when I got to high school, it wasn't all that I thought it would be, and I couldn't wait until I got into college, and when I got out of college, I couldn't wait to get a job, and then I got a job, and I was like, why did I wait for that so uh, eagerly? But 
Waiting is a part of our life. I can remember waiting to find the right person to marry. And some of us prayed long prayers and hard prayers, and it seemed as though we were the hindrance to the answer to our prayers, and there was something that we weren't doing right. And we prayed hard. We prayed fervently, as the Bible teaches us, yet there seemed to be no answer. And there are seasons in our lives where it seems as though God is silent. It seems as though God is nowhere to be found. It seems as though when we pray, we're talking to ourselves and our prayers fall on deaf ears and we tend to ask ourselves, what's wrong with me that God is absent from my life? But what we're going to find through this series is that in times of waiting, God is never absent. He may be silent, but he's never absent. And even in the silence, we can have a confidence and a trust that God is working for us and in us and through us to accomplish his will in our lives and in the earth. So there's a purpose in our seasons of waiting. Now, um, if you're like me, waiting is not something that you enjoy. If you've ever been to the DMV and you had to renew a license or you had to change an address or something that seems like it would only take a few minutes and you would be in and out and it turns into hours and sometimes multiple hours to do something that seems so simple Waiting can become a huge frustration. I don't like waiting in traffic. I don't like waiting in doctor's offices. I've never understood why when I go to an emergency room, I have to wait. Perhaps emergency is false advertisement because waiting is standard in an emergency room. And if you've ever been in waiting rooms or situations where you've had to wait, you understand that the culture that we live in just drills into us that we want things now, we want things instantly, and if we have to wait for things, it's a frustration point. So we hate waiting. We hate waiting in lines. If you went shopping for Black Friday, God bless you. I did that once. And I understand that waiting in lines is of benefit to get some deals, but for most of us, it turns into an obstacle to living a godly life. And there are people that are in line in front of us or behind us that just make us want to act outside of our faith. And it's not healthy for me. So I told my wife a couple of years ago that I would not be participating, that if she wanted to do that, she was on her own. And so she decided to stay home as well. But waiting is, isn't it just, it brings the worst out in us sometimes. Because we feel as though it's, it's something out of our control that we can't manipulate or we can't make something happen. And because of that, we tend to get frustrated and we tend to resist the thing that we're searching for because of the weight. And when it comes to God and his promises for us, sometimes his promises aren't instant. And when God makes a promise to us, when God has a call in our life, when God gives us a dream or a vision, when God puts a purpose inside of us and we have compassion on a situation and we long to see change in our lives and in our world, we tend to want it to happen now. And when it doesn't happen now and we have to wait for a process to receive a promise, we get frustrated. And the wrong thing for us to do is to give up on the promise because of the process. But so often we lose heart, we get discouraged, we get frustrated, and just like the lines, 
at Black Friday shopping, we tend to say it's just not worth it. I'll settle for less than what I expected. And with everything within me throughout the next three weeks, I want to encourage you, don't settle for less than God's best for your life, even if it makes you wait. And even if there's a process that you have to endure, even if there is a time period that constrains the reception of the promise or the season that you're longing for, you've got to trust and hold on to the fact that God is for you and that he loves you and that he is a good God and that he knows more than we know when it comes to understanding how life works. So with that said, I want to welcome us to the season of Advent. Typically, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day are recognized as the season of Advent where we celebrate the advent of Jesus Christ. Advent simply means, the Latin word is where it's derived, it simply means the coming or the arrival. And so we're celebrating the coming or the arrival of Jesus Christ to the earth, this advent of all advents where Jesus was sent by God to the earth because he loved us enough to give his very son for us. And it seems as though if we start in the New Testament of your Bible in the book of Matthew and we read the account of the Christmas story, it seems as though this is a starting point to a lot of things that we read in the New Testament. In a lot of ways, it is a starting point. But in more ways, it's actually a fulfillment of a season of waiting. A season of waiting for hundreds of years, people anticipated and eagerly awaited the coming of a Messiah, the coming of a Savior to the world to rescue humanity. It had been prophesied, it had been promised, and people waited for it, and they waited for it, and they waited for it. And uh, just to help us understand that if we're in seasons of waiting, that there's nothing wrong with us per se, well, let me back up and say this, sometimes... We don't receive things because we don't do some things that are necessary on our part, okay? I don't want to excuse myself included that if we, if we go about trying to get some things in the wrong ways, that we can delay God's promises in our lives. If we settle for less, we can delay God's promises in our lives. But let's just assume that we're all on the same page and we all want God's best for our life and we've received promises or we have hopes and we have dreams that we haven't received and they haven't been fulfilled. And let's just assume together that, that we have great attitudes and we're pursuing God with our whole hearts. If you're waiting, if you're waiting now, if you've been in a season of waiting, if you aren't waiting now, when you wait in the future, it's not an indicator that something's wrong with you. It's not an indicator that you're doing something wrong, that you've missed the mark, that you have fallen short of your responsibility in the process to receive the promise. It's actually a natural thing in the spiritual world. Let me give you an example. The Old Testament comes to an end. It comes to a close with the book of Malachi. Malachi was a prophet and uh, just a short book. He was the 12th of the minor prophets that end the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, my Bible here um, ends with the book of Malachi, and then there's actually a blank page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. And then I've got a page that says New Testament, and then we start with the Gospel of Matthew. And um, it seems as though I can read from Malachi to Matthew with just the flip of a page that the story continues. 
so to speak. It seems as though it's just the next chapter in the story of God, but what history tells us and scholars teach us is that this blank page in our Bibles actually represents 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And notice that it's a blank page because during those 400 years, there was no prophet that stood for God's people to speak his voice to his people. There was, there was no voice from God. There was nothing recorded that God spoke to any individual, that this was literally a season of silence from God. And not just a few hours and not just a few days or a few years, but for 400 years, God seemingly was silent in regards to his people. I can relate to that. There's been seasons in my life where I've prayed and I've tried to hear from God and I've begged God to speak in my life, but he seemed to be silent to me. It seemed as though he didn't have much to say. And to be honest with you, if I'm being honest, I tended to think in those seasons that God was disinterested with me. Maybe he was disappointed in me. Maybe he didn't see the faith in me that he desired. And for whatever reason, someone else caught his eye because maybe they were more godly than me and he just for a season ignored me. That's what I thought. Maybe you're there. Maybe you've been there. If you haven't been there, you will be there. There are seasons that God becomes silent to us and doesn't speak. And it seems as though the blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament is an actual life that we're living, where God seems nowhere to be found. And this 400 years seemed as though God had removed his presence from his people, and it seemed as though he was absent, but the truth is, is that when God is silent, it doesn't indicate that he's absent in our life. So what we're going to find today is that even in the moments of God's silence, he is working behind the scenes. That he isn't just sitting on his throne ignoring us. That he isn't playing the quiet game so that we just get frustrated. But he's actually working behind the scenes preparing the next seasons for his life. I've often wondered what took place in those 400 years. What significance did the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament play into the story of God? And why was he silent for 400 years? And what does that look like? And I can't answer that question entirely. And I can't give you clear indicators of exactly what God was doing during those 400 years. But, but I know this. That there are several pretty remarkable historical events that have been recorded if you're here and, and, and the Bible isn't the authority in your life, if, if maybe you doubt the, the truth of the Bible, if, if maybe you think that it's just a bunch of made-up stuff and, and you tend to rely more on history, then maybe today will be helpful to you in some regards. Because I want to share with us three um, seemingly insignificant historical events that took place during those 400 years that really indicate to us God's heart for his people and for the earth, even in a period when he was silent for 400 years. Towards the middle, the early middle of those 400 years, there was a king named Philip of Macedon, and 
He was the king of Macedon near what's present-day Greece, and he had a son that you'll probably recognize named Alexander. He came to be known as Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great was by far the most phenomenal, incredible military mind that this world had ever known to that point, and arguably to this day. He conquered most of the world that was known at that time, and he did it at an early age. By the time he was 20, he took over as king for his father. Um, he died in his early 30s, so within a period of 10 to 15 years, he conquered most all of the world. He was responsible for the fall of the Persian Empire, and um, uh, he's famous for making a statement that he became depressed when there were no more worlds to conquer, that he was just an ambitious go-getter, and he was an unbelievable leader, and his strategy mindset was unprecedented. And as he conquered regions and set up new territories, uh, he gained more and more momentum as a leader. And he made one decision towards the end of his reign before he passed away that was seemingly an insignificant event to the world at that time, but today we'll look at how significant it has become. See, as he conquered different territories in different parts of the world and overtook different nations, he began to see the benefit of the world having a common language. And so he actually made it law that the world would have one common language. And the common language that he chose for the entire world to accept and to use was Koine Greek. Koine Greek. And so Alexander the Great did a lot of things. History tells us he did a lot of things, one of which was to establish in the world at that time a common language of Koine Greek. We fast forward some hundred or so years to now the Roman Empire that is ruling and overtaking and there's wars and, and people are, these factions are rising up against one another. And one of the things that the Roman Empire established was what was we learn now uh, as Pax Romano, Pax Romano, which uh, literally meant peace in Rome. And so they issued law that people could travel freely throughout the Roman Empire without fear that factions would attack them, that there should be peace inside the Roman Empire. And this allowed people to travel freely without fear of their lives, and it caused people to venture out into new and broader territories. Alexander the Great established a common language. The Roman Empire established a peaceful time in their empire. And the second thing that the Roman Empire did about that time is, is that they began to break into new innovations into transportation and building roads and providing paths for people to travel. Unprecedented for their time, they established some of the greatest roads that some of which still are holding up today because of the innovations that they did. And so not only did they provide a peaceful time for people to travel, but they provided greater, greater transportation means for them through roads and bridges and various forms of transportation. Now, those are three very insignificant, insignificant historical events that happened during a 400-year period of God's silence towards his people and towards the earth. No prophets, no, no voice from God for 400 years. And these three 
seemingly insignificant events, little known to the world as a whole, would usher in the next season in God's story. See, when the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins, the world looked vastly different. It wasn't as though uh, the world just translated over from Old Testament to New Testament, but because of Alexander the Great and various kings that ruled the earth and because of innovations and breakthroughs from the Roman Empire and, and, and obligations for there to be peace in the world, the story of God was actually able to be told on a greater level. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a play, maybe you've been to the Fox Theater and you've seen uh, a Broadway play or whatever it looks like, but typically there's an intermission, an intermission in a play, in a production. And typically during the intermission, a curtain will close or it'll come down. And behind that curtain, they will be resetting the stage for the next act. And these 400 years is exactly what God was orchestrating behind the curtain so that when the curtain would reopen, there would be a new world that had been set and a new stage that had been set for him to accomplish his purposes in the earth. See, as we begin the book of Matthew and we hear the story of Jesus that the advent of the Christ, that God sent his son and Jesus came and lived a perfect life for us, that he died for us on the cross, that three days later he rose from the dead, that he ascended to be with the Father and he sent his Holy Spirit to empower a group of men and women to begin a movement called the church that would continue his story through all the earth. And this church became a movement that saw thousands and thousands of people added and they gained traction and began to spread all over the world at that time. And we have writings from some of the great leaders of that day that are recorded for us today. And some of you might find it interesting that the New Testament in your Bible was actually written not in English, not in a translation that we're used to, but it was actually written in Koine Greek. And because Alexander the Great had made a seemingly insignificant decision to unite the world's language to Koine Greek, this message, these letters could spread faster and gain more traction than ever. And because there was peace throughout the Roman Empire and because of the roads that had been created and the innovations for transportation, the message of the church could travel further, faster because of some seemingly insignificant events that took place during a time of God's silence. And what I want us to understand is that sometimes in our life, God may seem silent and we may confuse his silence for his absence, but I want to encourage us this morning to make sure that in moments when God is silent toward us, that we don't confuse his silence for his absence because though he may be silent, he is never absent from our life. He's promised that he'll be with us. He promised to be faithful to us. And we can trust that behind the scenes, God is doing some things in our life that's simply setting the stage for the next act that we'll experience in life. They're hard to endure. It's, it's seasons of longing and hoping and wishing and waiting 
that seem frustrating and that seem to make us want to give up on some things that we feel that we've been promised or dreamed about. But we have to learn to trust that behind the scenes, God is orchestrating some events that may seem insignificant in our lives, but those insignificant events simply set the stage for what God wants to do in the earth. And so the uh, Apostle Paul that we read from a lot, he wrote a passage in Galatians chapter number four, starting in verse number four when he made this statement. He said, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son. When it seemed as though he was absent from the earth because he was silent, when it seemed as though he was ignoring his people, when it seemed as though he was disinterested or bored or whatever may have been the perception, when generation after generation would not have heard the voice of God for a season, the advent of Christ, the coming of a Messiah, the coming of a Savior, is hope for us that when the time is just right, that when the time fully comes in our lives, that season of waiting and longing and hoping and wishing will come to an end with a blessing that God sends specially formulated for us in our life. And so Jesus burst onto the scene, breaking a 400-year silence to God's people with the most incredible fulfillment of prophecies and promises that God's people had ever received. I don't know what your seasons of waiting look like, and I don't know what your frustrations are, and I don't know what dreams and aspirations that you pray about and what prayers seem to be unanswered in your life, but I want to encourage us this morning that while we're waiting for God to do things in our life, we've got to learn to trust that behind the scenes he isn't absent. Just because he's silent doesn't mean that he's absent, but we can trust that he is orchestrating some things behind the scenes to prepare the stage for what blessings that he wants to pour out on us. That's great news. See, typically when I hear the Christmas story, I rejoice that God sent his son, but I don't really think about the times of silence that I've gone through or that I will go through or that I am going through and the seasons of waiting that I've been through that I feel like I'm on a blank page between God's promises and, and God's fulfillments in the New Testament. And that blank page is a time that feels empty in my life as though God is very distant, but God isn't distant He's simply working behind the scenes, and the Christmas story simply reminds me that when the time fully comes, God will send his son into our worlds, and we will experience the fulfillment of the greatest promises that we've ever received. It's true for you as an individual. It's true for us as a church. It's true for our nation. It's an exciting time to understand that when you're in a season of waiting, that there is an anticipation of God doing something that we haven't experienced it yet. And so this season of Advent, these 
three and a half to four weeks leading up to Christmas Day is an opportunity for us as believers in Jesus Christ, for us as a church to eagerly await and reflect and focus our minds, attention, and our hearts' affection on the fact that God wants to send Jesus into some areas of our lives, some areas that may seem dry and stale, some areas that may seem broken and battered, some, some areas in our lives that may need healing and some areas in our lives that may need deliverance and some areas in our lives that just feel completely empty and void of God's presence. And we need to be reminded over and over that God isn't absent when he's silent, but he's working behind the scenes to set the stage for the blessings and the promises that he longs to send to us. There's a passage in Isaiah chapter number 30, starting in verse 15, if we can put that up. This passage says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Have you, have you ever had moments in your life where, let's go back to verse 15, please. If you ever had moments in your life where moments of rest seemed like obstacles to avoid, where, where moments of trust seemed like moments of vulnerability, that, that when there wasn't much for us to do, when we simply had to wait and we were required to wet, to rest and to wait and to trust in some things going on, that we saw those as negative to our life. And I want to help us see those in a positive light, that it's in the moments where we rest in our salvation. It's in moments that we trust in God's strength that he can accomplish the greatest things in our lives. But Isaiah says here to this people, but you would have none of it. You resisted the rest. You resisted the trust. Verse 16, he says, you said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. When, when it seems like the natural thing to do is just to turn and run, when it seems like the natural thing to do is to redirect your course to redirect your direction in life, where it seems as though you've hit a brick wall and you're not getting anywhere and you simply have to wait for things, it seems like the natural thing to do sometimes is to simply go in a different direction. Because if we're not finding something where we are, surely we'll find something somewhere else. And we have this tendency to resist the moments in our lives where God wants us to learn to wait for the Lord. Verse 17 says, A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you, are, till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill, so that you're vulnerable, so that people can see you in your weaknesses, so that you can't hide or wait in the Lord. You're exposed. So we, we tend to forget that the Lord is our refuge and our strength. And in times of, of waiting, it's in that refuge that we gain strength, that we learn to trust in him 
more and more. Verse 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Even when he's silent, he longs to be gracious to you. That God isn't an evil God that's simply looking to make our lives miserable. He's not silent because he's absent. He has a heart of compassion for you and for me. And he longs to be compassionate. He longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. That's his heart. His heart for you is compassion. It's to show you graciousness. For the Lord is a God of justice. He will come through. He will not ignore you. You will not go without God's promises for your life, even though you haven't received them or experienced them in a season in your life. And I, like, I love how Isaiah ends this when he says, Blessed are all who wait for him. Blessed are all who wait for him. There's blessing in the waiting and you need to know today that if you're in a season of silence, that your role in that season is first of all to understand and trust that God is not absent. That behind the scenes, He is working on your behalf. That He is setting the stage for your life. That He is preparing some things for you. For some of you, it, it, it may be a longing for a position or a relationship. Maybe you've been praying for physical healing or maybe you've been uh, dreaming about uh, a particular injustice in the earth that you feel called and you have a sense of compassion to act towards, but it seems as though things aren't moving and things aren't happening and your heart's desire is not being fulfilled. So as we trust that God's moving for us in the background, the responsibility that we have is to learn to rest in the refuge of God. To stop being so frantic. To stop getting so frustrated. We, have you ever been in traffic? I actually did this this week as we were driving to Charleston and back. You ever been in traffic and it's like a two-lane highway and you're on the interstate and you just, I hate traffic, I hate sitting still, I like to move, I'll go out of my way just so I'm moving because I feel like that's progress, I hate being in traffic. Have you ever seen someone or been the person like me that's just like, oh, that line's moving faster, that lane, so you're going to swerve over and cut people off to move up like two cars, and then they're going to pass you right back, and you're going to try to get back in this line, and you keep fighting back and forth for miles and miles and miles, and people are flicking you off and honking the horn because you're being an irresponsible driver, and you're not really getting anywhere. Sometimes we just have to accept that there's traffic. And we can't get around it, and we can't fight it, and we can't make it disappear. And sometimes God just allows traffic in our life, and it's opportunity for us not to get restless and to work harder and to fight harder and to try to figure things out and to pace back and forth and become so engrossed in the progress that we don't embrace the process. Sometimes we just need to turn on our favorite album and sit back and relax and just 
rest in who God is and the season that he has us in and recognize that waiting isn't a curse, that waiting isn't an obstacle, that waiting is actually a blessing. Because when we rest in the Lord through waiting for him, we allow him to do things in our life that we can't do for ourselves. And we learn to become content in who he is and what he does for us. And then we learn to trust him. Even, even when things don't seem to be going the way that we would expect them to go, we learn to trust God. Do you know that's the essence of faith? We all say, I have faith in Jesus. I place my faith in Christ. And faith is simply trusting in something or someone. It's allowing what we see physically not to hinder us from what we know internally. And it's trusting in the fact that God is God and we are not. And he knows what's best for us. So even if we're going through bad situations or periods of silence, we can trust that God is at work on our behalf, that he is preparing us for a season in our life where we will experience his promises and his blessings. Christmas is simply a season to remind us that there is strength in waiting, that there are blessings in waiting. Because when the time fully comes, and I know it's frustrating because it's not on our timetable, but when the time fully comes, God will send his son. God will move on our behalf. And God will intercept our world with his presence like we've never experienced before. His silence does not equal his absence. His silence is merely an opportunity for us to wait on the Lord. To experience what's yet to come and trust that he is setting a stage for us. I've often wondered just how many times in my life I have fought against what God was trying to do in my life. And I guess if we're being honest, we'll never fully know how much we resist God's plans in our life because we see things through our own eyes and when things don't feel productive, they don't feel like progress, we tend to resist it. And I've often wondered how many times in my life where God seemed silent, how many times in my life where God felt absent, did I resist what he was trying to do in my life because I was so frantic trying to figure life out and make different decisions and head in different directions that if I would have just rested and trusted in him, and perhaps he could have done greater things in my life than I've experienced. I'm learning more and more as I get older that God is God and I am not. And if we can remind ourselves through this Christmas season that the hope that we have is that when the time fully comes, God will send his son. He will send his presence, that he will move on our behalf, that he will end periods of silence 
Our responsibility is simply to wait on the Lord and trust in His strength and that He longs to do things in our lives. Will you bow your head with me, please? Lord, I'm grateful for the hope that's found in the advent of Jesus Christ, the arrival of a Messiah to a broken world, the arrival of a Savior to a world that needed to be rescued, and the presence of Christ ushered in an end to a period of silence where you didn't speak to your people for whatever reasons. There were no prophets, there were no writings, there were no words from God. When the time fully came, you sent your son Jesus to this earth to interrupt the silence with your presence. And my prayer is that in our moments of silence in this earth, in our journeys, in our lives, that we will learn to trust and rest and believe that you long to send your presence. Help us to learn to wait for the Lord. And this Christmas, those of us who are in seasons of waiting, may we be reminded that Jesus is the greatest fulfillment to the end of a season of waiting. And we have hope that if you used some insignificant events through the historical context of moments of silence that we can trust that you're doing things in the events of our lives to prepare us for the promises and dreams that you've given us.